Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Professional Sports Talk Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jack Murphy. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of this pod. This is going to be our Tuesday episode where we recap everything that happened in the previous week. Of course, we're going to be recapping the best and greatest and latest of NFL's Week 8 action. Uh, Not too much to say here as far as the trade deadline i was expecting a lot more activity to go on Um, if you're listening to this the trade deadline has already passed it was today at 4 eastern if i'm not mistaken so all those predictions i made in that last pod were completely fucking useless and i wasted way too much of my time doing that because i genuinely thought that this trade line trade deadline excuse me was going to be a lot more busy than it was and other than a few guys moving around shifting places such as the Melvin Gordon trade, or excuse me, Melvin Ingram trade, which could have some implications, I suppose. Um, there's just not a whole lot of impactful trades, if any at all. Obviously, the one that sticks out above all is Von Miller going to the Rams, and this is just very much, you've, I'm sure you guys have already heard so much about this because this was the one big trade that did happen, so I'm not going to really go into too much detail about it. Um, also, just, I'm as in totality, I'm not going to be talking about the trade deadline very much in this episode at all. Um, again, I'm sure you guys have already heard what you want to hear about that. And I'm sure you guys can have high expectations for Von Miller on the Rams, which I do. And I think he's going to succeed pretty much immediately. I mean, any defensive player next to Aaron Donald is going to find good success. But when you're Von Miller, it just helps that much more. And it just shows how all in the Rams are. So that's going to be it for covering the trade deadline. Literally not going to go over that any more than I already have. Um, I want to start this week's pod by saying it's going to be very close to the usual formula. Um, I also want to start by saying thank God I called those bets last week spooky bets. Um, I probably deserved it for that cheesy ass name and unoriginality of it all. But those fucking blew up in my face in just awesome, incredible fashion. Um, they, They just, they weren't even close. I mean, honestly, I couldn't do anything on Sunday but laugh about it. Uh, and it felt almost fitting. It felt like I almost cursed that shit because they were not even ball games. Like they just weren't games from the first quarter. Like right when action got going, it was just those games were over and it was very obvious those bets weren't going to hit. And so thank God I called them that way. And thank God that hopefully you guys just didn't listen to my ass and just acknowledge like, oh, maybe he's got a point, but didn't take him because if you did. You're mad at me today. And um, as far as my best bets go, I went 2-1. and one. I hit on the Patriots. Um, I was not expecting it to be this much of an ass-whooping, if I'm being completely honest. I, the Chargers got going early, and then they just got nothing going at all from then. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with just Belichick and his mastermind and always confusing you know, young, bright quarterbacks or whatever we think. The future is not... I mean, excuse me. What the hell? What the hell was I going with that thought? Um, <laughs> the future doesn't always. The inexperience of a rookie and the future quarterbacks don't always beat the experience of Bill Belichick. I guess that's where I was trying to go with that. I don't really know where that train of thought come, came from, but either way, it was a very impressive win for the Patriots. They threw a lot of different defensive schemes at Justin Fields that he even said in his post-game conference that he was not expecting to see. 
Um, so again, they just got under his skin very well and they ran the ball very efficiently as I thought they would. I didn't think they'd get away with the win in this one, but good for them. And either way, it covers a spread, so I'm not complaining. The other bet I hit on was the Cowboys. Uh, thank God Cooper Rush just has those weapons around him and thank God uh, the Vikings offense just decided to be, you know, the most conservative. It, it was crazy to watch. Like, honestly, there were so many times where I think they could have won that game. Genuinely, I do. If they just, they're, they're, they Vikings it up. It's just stop trying to run the ball on second and third down and just open up the game and start with a pass approach first. Cause I genuinely think if they started passing the ball the way they were in that first quarter and just kept it going and kept it rolling and not getting so conservative, I think they would have won that game. Regardless, it, when, it works out for me because the Cowboys covered their spread and I hit another best bet. Final best bet I didn't hit on is, of course, the Buccaneers game. Um, this was the bet I was most confident in <laughs> going into the week. Of course it was. And um, sure enough, the Saints have Tom Brady's number. I mean, he just he played really, really, really bad. Trevor Simeon didn't even play necessarily good. And yes, if you don't know, uh, which I'm sure most of you guys do already, Jameis Winston tore his ACL in this game. That is just such a bummer. I love Jason Jameis Winston. Um, I think he's just a really likable dude, and I think this locker room had a lot of uh, energy built around towards him. Not, of course, that that's all gone, and I think they can continue that energy. And, you know, you see a lot of times, like, a team's player will get injured or a core player or whatever, and they'll actually get better from it um, just because they, they bond so hard over it. And we've seen this with head coaches over the years. We've seen this when starting quarterbacks go down, all types of stuff. So... That was just awesome to see them all come together and just get amped up and beat Tom Brady. And again, they have Tom Brady's number. I mean, Tom has seven career losses as a Buccaneer and three of them are against the Saints. So that's just, it's very telling to how well they can play at him. And that's going to be it for the review and the best bets of last week. Um, again, I hope you didn't take my spooky bets again. I named them that cheesy ass name. So maybe I deserved it. And yeah, I'm glad I just didn't really recommend those to you guys. I just told them to think about them what you will and i'm sure as how glad i didn't take them too because those were awful i mean fucking the lions lost and jalen hurts only threw 14 passes and they lost by what like 38 that's just it's video game numbers it really is it's video game numbers so i'm gonna start this pod as my usual format i'm gonna go over my four standout matchups i'm then gonna get into a little bit of fantasy implications from this last week as we know there are a lot of injuries people could be dealing with right now and then finally, I'll be going over my Super Bowl contenders and those teams who are just on the outside looking in, as well as what I think their weaknesses are, and as well as I'll go over a couple strengths, but not nearly as much detail. Anyways, I'm going to start off now, go over the four stand-up matchups from last week, explaining things I noticed from both teams, what implications that these games might have in the future, and of course, player performance that stood out to me. The first matchup is a matchup that I think everyone's been talking about all week, as they should for good reason. This was just an amazing game and a great display by one just absolutely slept on team that no one in their right mind would have thought they would have won this game. Sure, maybe some people wanted to be really smart and tug at their balls and say, oh, big kahuna, I took the spread for the Jets to cover, but... I don't think anyone and their mother saw that the Jets were going to win this game. If you didn't watch this game, man, y'all missed out because this was a banger. I mean, seriously, this is one of the games of the year. It's just incredible what the Jets did against this Bengals team. Um, I mean, the, the game really started great for the Jets, and then it got really ugly really quick, and you thought, oh, shit, well, here they go. 
they're just going to get fucked and steamrolled. The Bengals are going to do their thing, and it's just going to be completely over. That explosive offense, uh, this this offense additionally, excuse me, that explosive Cincinnati offense and that putrid Jets offense, or so we thought, that couldn't keep up with them. It was just, I mean, they drove the ball right down the field. I believe they scored first, and then they had three really, really ugly turnovers, and the Bengals scored 17 unanswered off of those turnovers, and then I don't know what the hell happened, but the two-minute warning came. Keelan Cole made one of the best catches I've ever seen in my goddamn life, which unfortunately wasn't a catch. If you haven't seen that, go look it up. Just go look up, like, Keelan Cole almost catch uh, second quarter week eight. Whatever you got to look up. That catch was fucking... I mean, in high school, they call that a catch because they can't replay it. You know what I mean? So... That was just crazy. That was, he did his best OBJ impression. I'll just say that. And then the very next play, Braxton motherfucking Barrios, one of the coolest names in the NFL, did his best Antonio Brown impression with a toe drag swag he had in the end zone. It was just a thing of beauty. And then after that, the Jets were just rolling. They obviously, they ended um, the half right after, soon after that. And then everything went wrong for the Bengals on defense and everything went right for the Jets on offense. Um, we'll start with what went wrong with the Bengals' defense. I think a lot of it was due to just terrible coaching. Um, there, time and time again, I saw them get torched and seared the same way. It was just lack of defensive adjustments, and their linebackers were just getting absolutely... I'll, keep, I'll continue the cooking thing. They were just getting cooked. They were getting fucking deep fried. They were getting fucking put on the their goddamn pans, and just... It was ugly. It was so ugly. I mean, Logan Wilson who's one of my favorite young linebackers in this game. Um, as a huge Brett Coleman fan, I've heard, him, well, I've heard his name for quite a few years now. He was just irrelevant in this game. And again, the play calling did him no favors. I, but I just didn't quite understand why there was no adjustments being made. I mean, these running backs of the Jets just kept catching balls on screenplays and screenplays and screenplays and screenplays and just having so much fucking green grass in front of him by the way michael carter is awesome that dude is a fucking stud i loved him coming out of unc and he is continuing to do what he did in unc so well in the nfl level which is just great to see but regardless of all that it was just a disaster by the Bengals. it was i mean yes the jets deserve some credit too um sure since his defensive plan was clearly awful but the jets they did a lot of good things. I mean, they truly look like a well-oiled machine. Um, it was almost a direct replica of what Sala and Shanahan did in their Super Bowl run. And hell no, I'm not saying that the Jets are making some Super Bowl run. Wait, I'm not saying... No, I'm kidding. They're not. But um, it was just... Per it, was, it was the perfectly executed run zone game offense. Work off RPO. Work off play action. Don't ask your quarterback to do too much. Just trust that the scheme will work. And yards after catch, yards after catch, yards after catch. And when your O-line is playing as great as it did, because truthfully, the Jets O-line played an amazing game. They were bodying around the Bengals. Um, and it was just that, you know, kill you with a million paper cuts offense that was done to perfection. Or dink and dunk offense, if you prefer that, whatever you want to call it. It was done masterfully. And the Bengals linebackers were completely eliminated the game, out of the game, excuse me because they just couldn't keep up with these backs i mean a game plan like this i don't think you can do against like a uh, a minnesota who have like an eric hendricks or like a tampa bay who's got devin white and levante david but the, it, again it was just 
perfection. I mean, every play was called the very right instant. It was just a seriously like yes, Mike White is the story, and Mike White did make some really really good tight window throws. He, I'm not taking that away from him, but most of them were not at all. Most of them were just schemed up. Um, a guy dropping in perfectly into a zone on a hitch route. A guy just catching a screen pass. Uh, a Ty Johnson coming out of the flat, like shit like that over and over and over again. And it was honestly very confusing because I didn't watch too much of the film too in depth. I just watched this game live. So again, it could be different on the film, but it almost seemed like the Bengals were running a ton of cover three, which was just why. I don't know. I don't know why you're, it's Mike White. You know what I mean? Like you haven't seen him have a single start in the NFL. And I get that maybe you just want to keep everything in front of you and not let those over-the-top plays happen because that, that's what Zach Wilson's known for. But this is not Zach Wilson. I, I just, I don't know. It was a really weird defensive scheme, and maybe you have to go back and watch some more of the film of it to really get a better grasp of it. But to me, it was just very confusing. And just off the TV um, angle of it, the TV, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? TV broadcast, sorry, goddamn. Just off the TV broadcast, I mean, it looked like the Bengals got completely outcoached and their defensive coordinator just like fell asleep on the job or something because it was just, again, the same thing over and over and over. And sure, it was different varieties of the same thing because it wasn't like it was always like, oh, the same screen to the same side, but it was like the same type of like, you know, flats, dink and dunk, short passes. And, and then when they were in those third down territories and third down situations, Mike White did just enough to just get him out of it. So I mean, it was a little bit of both. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it a disaster on the Bengals side. You can call it great success on the Jets. But honestly, I think it was just a little bit of both. And the Jets, honestly, on both sides of the line of scrimmage, just kind of pushed around the Bengals. That's, and that's definitely a formula for winning football. So, again, I think there's a lot to build off the Jets here. Um, I think that they can, if they can really establish their run game and get Zach back going healthy and just have him execute this offense just the way Mike did, I think this team has a very bright future ahead of them. And again, I love a lot of their personnel and defense in particular. Um, I love some of their offensive personnel as far as Elijah Vera Tucker's a stud. I like a lot of the receivers on the outside. Um, I think this team is a lot closer than we might think. I'm not saying that they're going to get anything done this year. I'm not saying that. But I just, I like the direction they're going a lot. And I love, I love their coaching staff. And I hope they can keep bringing in good young talent. And honestly, I hope Zach Wilson gets this thing turned around because, I don't know, people are going to start talking, you know? Like, if they just beat the fucking Bengals and people might be thinking Zach Wilson's the problem. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he is, but people might be talking about that. And I hope that he can come back and bounce back in a big way, which I think he will. Moving on to the next matchup. By the way, a lot of these games this weekend were not great games at all like the it was kind of similar to last weekend where there were a shit ton of blowouts but the games that were good were really damn good um three of which in particular were just amazing games the second of these amazing games is going to be the colts versus the titans um again if you didn't watch this game you are truly missing out and there was one thing about this game that i really couldn't help but take away and that is first off both of the actually i guess is so i guess there's a few things first off both these teams are really damn good football teams. I mean, this was a great series between division rivals. And the way it came down to this game and the way this game came down to in that overtime loss, or I just called it a lot, I don't know, I was referring to the Colts. In this overtime uh, ending 
was just phenomenal. It was a great way to see this series lose. And obviously, it was... We know how desperate the Colts were for this win. You could feel the anxiety not only in the building, but on that sideline. These dudes were juiced up, and they were ready to get this win. And yet, Ryan Tannehill won, and Carson Wentz lost. So, um, you can probably take something away from that. I mean, I'm not implying that Carson Wentz is not a franchise quarterback because honestly, I think he is. I think he's enormously talented and I think he sometimes just makes numbskull mistakes as a lot of young quarterbacks do. I also think his injuries are definitely something to consider and something to be a little wary about. But overall, I, I think he's the answer there in Indianapolis and I hope they stick out, stick with him. But if we're being completely honest, I'd take Tannehill over him right now. If I was starting a team next week, just building a roster, and I had a choice between Carson Wentz and Ryan Tannehill, I would take Tannehill. And truthfully, I think these teams roster-wise, especially with Henry down, I think the Colts have a little better roster. But it's just, it's all up to the quarterback. And quarterback and its success, and more importantly, their mistakes, are the most important thing to any team. And we saw Carson Wentz made critical, critical, I mean, just fucking so frustrating, just terrible plays, terrible mistakes a couple times in this game, and it held his team from getting the win. I mean, that interception on the goal line, if you haven't seen that, just go look it up. That was, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, I know you don't want to get a safety and that's the last thing you want but you know you don't want more than a safety is for them to fucking score it's 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 it was and then the pick in overtime was just where are you throwing to dude that guy is in triple coverage it's and it's one thing if i don't know he's sure he's in triple coverage maybe he thinks he can whip it in there but he missed terribly and because of that they ended up you know, it wasn't directly because of those things, but I mean, because obviously they came back and they scored after that. And then I think they got the ball after that interception in overtime too. But regardless, it's just, you can't be doing shit like that and expect to be winning championship caliber football. Caliber football. And I think this is a championship caliber roster. So, I mean, fuck, it sucks. Because I, I really think Carson Wentz is incredibly talented and... He has been honestly decently mistake free. I, I know he's had a lot of dropped interceptions and he, his stats could be a lot worse right now. But I believe going into this game, he only had one pick on the year. So it just, man, I don't even know what to say other than it tells you how important quarterback is. And I feel bad for Carson. Um, I feel bad for these Colts because I think they're barely going to miss the playoffs. And I think they just have a crazy good roster. Um, and I feel bad for Colts fans. Honestly, I do. And I think you guys should stay patient with Carson because I think Carson... The thing is about Carson is sure, maybe he's not the best quarterback in the league or he's maybe he's not even, you know, like the, he's probably like the 16th best. He's probably like middle of the pack average. I got to sneeze. So if that comes at any time now, I warned you. If there's a loud, Foof, that's that. I think it's going away. We're good. Um... I was saying about Carson Wentz. Yeah, he's about middle-of-the-pack quarterback. But the thing is, if you're rebuilding and you're looking for a whole new quarterback, unless you bring in some really established guy, 
I would take that right now. Maybe I'm being, you know, a little partial because I'm a Bears fan and I haven't seen a franchise quarterback in my entire fucking life, and I mean that. Um, I just think you should be careful what you wish for. And similarly to why I thought the Dolphins should stick with Tua, I mean, he's only had 12 starts. Carson's had a lot more than that. Um, I just think you need to stay patient with these guys. They're so young. They have so much talent. And um, just be careful what you wish for. That's it. That's all I'm trying to say. Now, jumping back to the Titans side of this ball, and more importantly, Derrick Henry. Shit, man. I mean, this stinks. This sucks. He, first off, he was carrying my fantasy team. Second off, you guys know I was all aboard the Derrick Henry MVP train. I was rating, rating. I was rooting for him, and I most certainly think this offense will take a step back while lacking Derrick. Um, not that it's saying it's time to panic. Obviously, they picked up Adrian Peterson, who I think honestly could see significant workload, but we'll we'll get to that later. And I just think that this Titans team probably just went from a Super Bowl contender to the outside looking in. I still have them as a Super Bowl contender. We're going to see how they compete for the next few weeks going forward. And I think Ryan Tannehill really needs to just unlock himself. I think that it's not even Tannehill because Tannehill's great and Tannehill's been playing great. I think this offense and this offensive coordinators really need to like bust open the Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, whoever else is catching balls there, wagon, and just really embrace it. And just honestly, like, that's the hard part because their entire identity was around Derrick Henry establishing the run, just run, 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 pass off of it. And I think they need to take a whole different new approach to their offense, and I think they truly need to be a pass-first team now, which, I mean, honestly could be a good thing because it could throw teams completely for a loop. Anyways... Oh, one more thing I want to say about this game is I mentioned that the Colts have a really tough, um, just a tough road ahead of them, and I think they're barely going to miss the playoffs, and I feel really bad for them. Uh, their next four games, or I guess their next three games, wait, I think the next, no, I'm lying, I'm lying, I'm lying, don't fucking listen to me. This, just three games they have in their next, what week are we in? In their next nine games that... I think are going to make it really hard on them. They still have to play the Bills, Bucks, and Cardinals. I'll just leave it at that. I've been talking for way too long already. This is going to be a long ass pod, so let's get to the next, get to the next one. Our next matchup that I want to go over, and I think a lot of people. It already feels like this matchup was fucking like two weeks ago, um, but it's Green Bay versus Arizona. Um, this is a very similar game to the Jets game. It, believe it or not, um, I need to stop saying um, Jesus. It was just uh, Kyle Shanahan, that whole Shanahan coaching tree, you know, like the Shanahan, the LaFleurs, the McVeighs, the Gary Kubiak, whoever else fucking comes out of that. That was just like, this game plan was their, like, chef's kiss, just done to a T. It was, it was beautiful. And because of that, I'm going to be comparing this game to the Jets game a lot because, you know, Sala, Shanahan, coaching tree, whatever. It was Remember how I said that the Jets played like the dink and dunk, cut you with a million, cut you with a million, uh, or kill you with a million paper cuts type offense just to absolute perfection? Yeah, well, Aaron Rodgers is the closest thing to a quarterback, or excuse me, the closest thing that a quarterback is to perfect. So this was just, I mean, fucking piece of art. Like, th- put this thing in a goddamn museum. LaFleur should be looking back on this and just like watching this film and just like being so content with himself and his performance. Because the play calling was amazing. And similar to the Jets game, just a lot of yards after carry. 
Uh, similar to the Jets game, amazing run offense. Offensive line just looked like they were fucking swallowing people whole. Amazing job chewing clock and keeping Kyler on the sidelines. Similar to what the Jets did with Joe Burrow. And honestly, it felt like they completely dominated the football game that way. I mean, when you can control the clock that well and just have like these long 18-play, 75-yard drives like they did, it constricts what the offense you're playing against can really do. And it it completely changes the game plan. So, of course, we have to talk about the INT at the end that Russell Douglas had on uh, Kyler Murray and AJ Green never turned his head around. Of course, that was just a simple miscommunication. Um, I don't see why people are talking about it so much because I don't think people realize a lot of these. Like I've seen so many people saying like I've never seen a miscommunication this bad. We see that every fucking week. We see that every game. There's miscommunications in every goddamn game. I don't see why. Like what's so hard to believe about that? I mean, it was an incredible play by Russell Douglas. Don't get me wrong, but that's the type of mistakes you just can't make in that area that's why it sticks out so much more than any other typical you know miscommunication on offense or defense because miscommunications happen plenty obviously if you the margin for error in the nfl is just so small and it gets so much smaller when it gets to the fourth quarter and overtime and situations like that you just can't be doing that type of shit but Either way, the fact that the Cardinals even had a shot at all to stick around in this game tells you how good this team is. It tells you that you shouldn't take too much away from this game as far as like, oh, the Cardinals are pretenders because they're not. They're still Super Bowl contenders. It's just Green Bay is too, and Green Bay possibly has the best quarterback coach duo in the league, if you will. Obviously, that's arguable. You could, but whatever. You get my point. It was just, this game was, the film on this game, <laughs> fucking, ah, just mwah, gorgeous. Final matchup I got to talk about, and I think it's no surprise to any one of you that I have to talk about this game, because I talk about this this team every single week. It's the Niners versus the Bears. Um, well, I, I guess I got to say, I've been talking shit about the Niners, like, all season. Um, if there's more shit I've talked about it, about of a team, it's probably my Bears, but that still doesn't make this feel any better just because I thought the 49ers have been incredibly overrated all season. I still think they are pretty overrated. I just, man, the Bears fucking suck. They suck. They suck. But we'll get to that. I feel really, really bad for Justin Fields. I mean, the, the Niners didn't even get their first lead until the fourth quarter. And even then, Justin took the offense right down the field the very next drive. He had probably the best player of his career so far in that amazing, magical touchdown run. And I mean, amazing. Like, if you haven't seen that, again, another play, just, you gotta go look it up. But if, honestly, if you haven't seen that shit and you listen to this podcast, how? How the hell have you not seen that? Are you living under a rock? That thing was everywhere. Anyways, and then in typical Bears fashion, Cairo Santos misses the extra point after that, so he can't even tie it up. Whatever, sticking with Fields, I love the way he played. I don't know how much Matt Nagy being out had to do with it, but I kind of have a suspicion that it had more of an implication than people realize. Um, obviously, Matt Nagy really is focused and concerned with Justin Fields' development, particularly as a passer. I also think Matt Nagy has some, you know, health concerns as why as to why he doesn't want him doing too many designed runs or too many scrambles outside the pocket, which. Again, I mean, understandable, whatever. I also think Matt Nagy is fully aware that Justin Fields is his last hope of keeping his job, and he really needs to 
show why he took this guy and why he deserves to have a future with him going forward. But on the other side, on the other side, I think that this pressure coming off fields of Nagy telling him to stay in the pocket and telling him to stay true to his reads and maybe micromanaging him a little too much, kind of similar to how we saw John Gruden leave the Raiders and Derek Carr's play elevated. I think there was a part of that here. And again, this is just a theory. Um, you can let me know if you guys agree with this or disagree with this. But he, I mean, Justin was making great throws on the run. He was making a lot better reads this game. He was scrambling more than we've ever seen him, as I've said. And frankly, while he was scrambling, he was getting hit less, which I think is very, very important to understand. Because the thing is, again, I think Matt Nagy was really preaching to Justin. He needs to stay in the in the pocket and make those reads and become that pocket passer when really why not just let him go if the pocket breaks down he can take off because the thing is it's not like he can't outrun these defensive ends and these linebackers and even these fucking corners and safeties because he's faster than him and if you're faster than him you can't really get touched and he was sliding well he was kind of pulling the lamar kyler thing i'm not saying he's nearly the as electric as those guys but Goddamn! I mean, he runs a 4-4. Let him get outside. Let him work on the move. And when shit's not there, let him fucking go. I get that you want to keep him healthy. I get that you want to develop as a pocket passer. I understand the theory. But if you're going to win football games with him scrambling out of the pocket and using his feet and extending plays and... It's, never mind, his fantasy outlook was great this week because of all that bullshit. But regardless, if, if that's going to win the game for you, let him do that shit. I don't understand... Okay, I do a little bit, but I don't agree with it. I'll say that. I understand it, but I don't agree with it as to why Nagy is... And, and again, this is a theory. Maybe he's not saying any of this bullshit. Maybe, maybe Nagy got on a Zoom call from his house with Justin this week and was saying, Justin, fuck your reads. Fucking do them first if they're not there. Scramble outside the guy in pocket. And maybe Nagy has more credit to do that than I'm giving him right now. But me personally, I think that Nagy being out actually helped him. So, anyways, moving on and continuing with Justin's performance in this game because I'm not quite done talking about my franchise quarterback because it's my fucking show. Leave me alone. I can talk about him as long as I want. Um, there were some balls and some passes that I really need to highlight in this game because, I mean, I think it was it was probably his best game so far. Obviously, that Lions game you could argue, but there was a ball. Uh, his first touchdown pass, of course, was one of his best throws of the entire season. He was on the move to his left, I believe, just elite placement. Uh, the receiver was diving down the corner safety, whatever. The DB was diving down in front of him, and he barely got it over his fingertips, put it in a ball where only the Jesse, I believe it was Jesse James, could get it. And it was just a great throw. Uh, that stadium got electric for it. It was awesome to see. And then there was another one um, that... It was a ball to Cole Komet in the end zone, and Cole dropped it. It wasn't the best throw, but it was a fucking bullet. I mean, he fucking lasered that thing. Like, it was on a frozen rope and just hit Cole right in the hand. Uh, my point is, it wasn't the best throw, and it <laughs> because it was so fast, I don't really blame Komet for dropping it. But the thing that I loved and I want to highlight about this throw is the placement. I mean, it was perfect it was exactly sure you could argue it could have been a little higher to give cole a better opportunity but i mean 
it was right on Cole's hip, way too far from the DB for him to even get a hand on it. And the receiver was the only person that could possibly make a play on the ball. And that was, it was great. I mean, it, that's shit like that is what you love to see because that's places, that's things and spots on the field that you can grow from and you can learn from. And I think Justin is going to learn a lot from this game. And I hope that his fucking coaching staff does too and uses him better because God damn it. This guy has so much potential. I love what I'm seeing from Justin Fields. I'd stop. And by the way, if you guys are going to like listen to this and send me his stats, fuck off. Stats don't mean shit. All right, fuck off. Anyways, our defense shit the fucking bed. I mean, shit the bed. Failed Justin miserably. He should have gotten out of this game with this W, but it was just big play after big play after big play. Whether it was Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, even Jermichael goddamn Hasty, those guys were tearing us up in big chunks. And although we dominated the game for three quarters, we just couldn't keep up defensively and... There showed up in a key moment. Um, it, yeah, it just fucking sucked. Fourth quarter came around. Our defense is gassed. Our offense is also gassed. And sure enough, Justin can't scramble out of the pocket this one last time. I'm pretty sure it's Nick Bosa that gets him for a sack. And then we're already down one because Cairo Santos, typical fucking Bears fashion, makes the extra point. And then the Niners go down and seal the, seal the deal. So that was a big ouch. Um, it's okay, though, because, again, Plenty of film, plenty of good film for Justin, and hopefully, pray to fucking God, plenty of good film for Nagy to learn from as well. Anyways, good for the Niners. If they lost this, they were completely fucked. Uh, good for Jimmy G for doing his best Justin Fields impression with his two just rushing touchdowns. That's a joke, not really. Um, and the Bears need Khalil Mack back really, really, really goddamn bad. That was... It's a different defense when he's not in the field. I'll just say it that way. Finally... We're going to transition to fantasy football and all the implications from this weekend. I'm sorry that this pod is already 33 minutes long. This is going to be one of my longer episodes. I'll try and keep it going on the quicker side here. Um, first, if you need running back depth, which a lot of you guys likely do, obviously tons of guys are injured right now, such as you know Christian McCaffrey, uh, Derek Henry, James Robinson, David Montgomery, uh, uh, I'm missing one. Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley. I'm missing a couple. If you drafted Gus Edwards or Travis Etienne, uh, by the way, why the hell did you draft Travis Etienne? That's a stupid, that was stupid. I, whatever. Anyways, there could be a lot of potentially league-changing waiver wire ads this week for you guys. Um, obviously, who knows? That's It's way too early to say that. But there's potential there. First, we're going to go over Derrick Henry replacements. Obviously, I'm sure most of you guys know already, Derrick Henry is slated to be out more than likely the remainder of the season, which, again, I've expressed my sadness with this. This fucking sucks. I love Derrick Henry. Anyways, if you are in a non-PPR format, you are going to want to go after AP. Um, you're going to want to hope that he gets used a shit ton, which I think he will. I think he could seriously see a significant role right off the bat in this offense let's just hope he is not a shell of himself which he i mean he's he, even if he is he's ap you know what i mean whatever and you're gonna hope to god that he gets the goal line work there if you are in a ppr or a half ppr format you're gonna target uh i forget his name something something mcnichols i forget his first name you're gonna target blank mcnichols 
he's already proven that he has a receiving role there and that could seriously grow with also having more rushing attempts with Derrick Henry being gone. So not too much to say there. Just, again, standard target AP, half PPR or full PPR target McNichols. Moving on to another running back we're going to be targeting. I like Boston Scott here. He already has a very solidified role in the Eagles' backfield, even when Miles Sanders is there, as we know. And Kenneth Gainwell is not really stealing many touches away from him. Sure, he's going to take some targets out of the backfield, but that's just kind of how this offense is running right now. And again, not, not too much to say here. Just as we know, Miles Sanders should be out a few more weeks, and Kenneth Gainwell is not getting that rushing work. Boston Scott's obviously the guy in the red zone, red zone too, so... Go ahead and target Boston Scott. Another guy that I really like here in the same sort of range, I'm kind of clumping them together, is Derek Gore. Uh, simply because we know Clyde, Ritz, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire isn't supposed to be back, I don't believe, next week, but maybe the week after that. Honestly, I don't really remember off the top of my head. But Derek Gore got some really solid work here. He was splitting pretty much even touches with uh, Daryl Williams. I forgot his name for a second. And... I think there's a lot you can like here. I like the way he's built. I like the way they use him on the goal line, and I like the touchdown upside that he has. Another guy that's kind of in this range is Carlos Hyde because it, mostly it sounds like James Robinson's likely to be back next week. It sounds like he's day-to-day. But if he doesn't play, there is a lot of upside here for Carlos Hyde who will immediately be put in that workhorse role, likely be playing in all three downs. And Gore may have some more long-term use here, but again, if you just want need a one-week patch, Carlos Hyde's your guy. Moving on to the receivers, uh, there's not too many that aren't largely owned here or that I even have any interest in, so I'm just going to list a few names around the 60 to 70% rostered mark, and you should guys should just go check your leagues, see if they're available. More than likely, they won't be, but if they are, it might be worth picking up, a, or excuse me, putting in a waiver ad for them. These guys are going to be Cole Beasley, Tyler Boyd, um, also two more running backs in this range because I should have mentioned them earlier, but that's okay are Elijah Mitchell and Michael Carter. Other than that, I also like targeting guys like Jameson Crowder. Again, a lot of those guys are pretty largely owned. Um, but if they're not owned, I would prioritize... Well, obviously, it depends on if you need a receiver or a back. If you need a back, you're prioritizing Elijah Mitchell and Michael Carter over all those guys I just said before. If you needed a receiver, you're targeting Cole Beasley or Tyler Boyd. But if none of those guys are available, which they most likely aren't, Again, go after a guy like Jamison Crowder. He's already seen uh, great production in past years. He's been extremely productive in a few past years, honestly. And I think he will continue to do so in this offense. Another guy who I'm really looking for on especially deeper leagues, 12-man leagues, 14-man leagues, stuff like that, um, is Russell Gage. Russell Gage is someone who's already shown a lot of chemistry with Matt Ryan, and they've seemed to have a good connection in his entire career there. I also just really like the way he plays football i think he's a really underrated receiver and i think that they really want to get him going more but in particular i think they need to get him going more because i'm sure a lot of you guys already know this as well calvin ridley is dealing with mental personal issues i get that more than most and i feel really bad for the guy i really wish him do the whoa really wish him do I really wish him do the best of luck. Um, I really do wish him the best of luck, and I really hope he comes back soon because he's an incredible talent who I think adds a lot to this Falcons offense. But 
until we know when he's coming back, until we have a timetable for his return, Russell Gage should be seeing plenty more targets. I also think Kyle Pitts' owners are rejoicing right now. And, yeah, definitely someone you're going to want to target because of his upside and because of him stepping into the Calvin Ridley role. All right, this is a 40-minute pod. i got to get fucking going. Jesus Christ. I haven't had a pod this long in a few weeks. Finally... Final segment of this week's pod, we're going to conclude with my list of Super Bowl teams, as well as one of their strengths and one of their weaknesses each team has. We're just going to jump straight into it. My Super Bowl contending teams are going to be the Buccaneers, Green Bay Packers, Buffalo Bills, Arizona Cardinals, Tennessee Titans, Dallas Cowboys, and the Los Angeles Rams. As far as my teams who just missed out, we got the Browns, who their quarterback play right now is holding them back as well as just their overall injuries on offense we have the chargers who are just out um this is mostly because i think they do have a super bowl roster but if you can't stop the run the way they haven't been able to stop the run the past well honestly the entire season you're not going to make it deep in the playoffs playing that brand of football. Teams are just going to run the ball down your throat. They're going to keep your offense on the field, especially if you have to go travel into cold weather. That's just not a very good formula for winning in the playoffs. So if I see a little bit of improvement there, if I see them adjust a certain way, I could certainly see them making a run for it. But as of this moment right now, they are on the outside looking in. Another team that is definitely on the outside looking in, but very close. Actually beat the team last week. This is, of course, the New England Patriots. The problem is with the Patriots... Sorry, my dog was barking. The problem is with the Patriots is that they don't really have enough weapons right now. It was the same type of issue they had last season. They've got really good tight end play, but as far as their weapons on the outside, their perimeter, you know, their wide receivers out there just don't really scare defenses at all in my opinion and I think there is a lot of problem behind that and I don't think that serves very well in the playoffs particularly when you get against these tougher defenses uh I mean even just look at their own division the Bills match up incredibly well with the Patriots I'll just say that another team that's just barely on the outside looking in this is probably the closest one I actually swapped this one at the last second is going to be the Ravens I love how this team can beat you a ton of ways I also think Lamar Jackson is playing at an absolute MVP level we've also seen them have decent success in the playoffs but honestly if the Bengals are just out of contention then the Ravens Ravens deserve to be too I'm just again I'm really worried about these injuries starting to catch up with them I think that losing their left tackle is huge. I think that they're an elite team, but because of their injuries and lack of depth, I just barely think they're on the outside looking in. Again, this could change. My final team that is outside looking in is going to be the Bengals. And of course, this could be in part due to recency bias because of how bad their defense just played against the Jets. But honestly, that's all that's all it takes right now. I, that just killed a lot of trust I had in this team. And I'm I'm pretty concerned. I'm pretty concerned about their their defense. I think they'll be fine. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they could even win a playoff game, but I don't think they're quite in that Super Bowl bubble. Now, whew, moving on to my contenders. Green Bay is my first contender. Um, a lot of what I said in this week's pod was just a great representation of why I think Green Bay is so good. I think they're just... They are the cream of the crop in terms of NFL coaching and quarterback play, especially as a duo. 
as far as one weakness, if I had to pick, um, it's still, we know what their weakness is. They lack a second receiver that really scares teams. Sure, they just beat the Cardinals without even their best receiver, but that's, I don't think they're going to be able to do that consistently, especially against a team like Tampa, who, again, have the linebackers like Levante David and Devin White to really eliminate that screen game at least a little better. And that run game, additionally, um, when you get a team that can really stop the run, that type of that type of game plan is just not really going to work as well as it did, even if it does have a little bit of success. So again, I seriously thought they should have traded for a Brandon Cooks, for an OBJ, for even a Robbie Anderson at the trade deadline, but clearly they didn't, and so it continues to be one of their weaknesses. My next contender is going to be the Bills. Uh, this is probably the most complete roster in football. I mean. With an MVP leading the way, it's really hard to pick a weakness. I'm really nitpicking here. Uh, but I guess if I had to choose one, it'd be their lack of a dominant run game. We kind of saw this last year as well. They just can't really win both ways. They really need their passing offense to get going if they want to win football games, which I think they can still win Super Bowl caliber football with. Uh, I mean, we saw the Chiefs do that against the Niners two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Um, but again it it that's their one concern other than that they're just an absolutely loaded team and josh allen is playing out of his goddamn mind so not too much to nitpick here again another and again a lot of these are going to be nitpicking just simply because these teams are just you know the cream of the crop as we know my next team is going to be the cardinals um if it's not the bills this is possibly the most complete roster i, I mean again it's very hard to find a weakness if I had to say one, it'd be it, I would say that they have pretty generic play calling. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is calling his best season, um, or maybe he is, but that does that's not really saying too much, just because I don't think too highly of Cliff's scheme and that that overall offense, just because they're extremely explosive, but they're very reliant on their playmakers to make the best of what they get. And when you have playmakers that good, it works out just fine because you know these guys are, are fucking studs on the outside. You know, Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins are all a bunch of fucking animals. And that's why this works so well. But, again, if you see some injuries there, if a team has really dominant corner play or defensive back play, then I think they could run into some issues. And if a team can do what the Packers did and just keep them their offense on the sidelines, excuse me, I think it could create a ton of issues for them too, so... They're still Super Bowl contenders. That's just my one concern. I see with them right now. My next Super Bowl contender is going to be the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill in this passing game can take over games. And wait. Oh, this is the, sorry. I read my notes really weirdly. Uh, I mean, I think some of their strengths is that Ryan Tannehill in this passing offense can take over games. Um, and I think that's a great strength to have right now because obviously they're starting running back who's the best running back in the league just went down in Derrick Henry and it was their run game that was taking over games. But I don't think they have to panic too hard just because I think Ryan Tannehill's a really, really, really damn good quarterback. And I think that they have enough weapons that if they can stay healthy, they should be fine. But I don't think I've seen... All this week, all the weaknesses on this team. I still think that we, I mean, we saw at the beginning of the year this defense was awful. I mean, terrible, like so bad. And yes, they've picked it up really well the past few weeks, but I still can't trust them too much. Um, I'm also worried about the run game, though not as much again as the defense. It's just, 
if I had to pick two things, it'd just be their defensive unit as a whole, just because we saw how badly they were playing. And sure, they've played a lot better the past few weeks, but I don't know if it's quite good enough to win a Super Bowl. And again, I'm kind of double-taking double that I should have made these guys Super Bowl contenders, but whatever, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Moving on to my second-to-last Super Bowl contending team. This is going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Again, this is another roster that, as we know, cream of the crop, very complete. These guys are very young. They're clicking on all cylinders right now. I mean, just dominant defensive play from Michael Parsons. Trayvon Diggs is playing out of his mind. Nevertheless, how good this offense looks. I guess if there's one thing I had to pick, and honestly, I don't see a lot of weaknesses at all in this team. I mean, D-line is playing great. O-line is playing great. Great receivers, great DBs, great linebackers. It's just, it's very, very hard right now. I guess if I had to choose one, it'd be Dak's health. Honestly, other than this weird ankle, calf, and then the shoulder preseason he's been a very healthy quarterback over his career so again i don't think it's too much to worry about i think he'll be just fine but i mean it doesn't mean it couldn't mean problems and it doesn't mean that it won't flare up again and whatever it i have to pick something it's just my rules <laughs> my final team that's going to be in super bowl contention should be no surprise to anybody it's going to be the los angeles rams i mean it's just another team that is just Particularly with that Von Miller trade, they're just so all in. They're so juiced up with talent. I mean, like everywhere, just talent all over the ball. Uh, I don't really have too many concerns, I guess. Um, I mean, their roster is just fucking stupid. Even if their roster is stupid, there's still one concern I guess I do slightly have in its depth. I don't want to curse anybody or jinx anybody, but if they have a few key injuries at a few positions, they could be in serious trouble. I mean, they just don't have the type of depth that a team like like the Cowboys have or like the Buccaneers have or even like the Cardinals have. They've got a ton of stars and they're super, super reliant on them. And that's for good measure because their stars are fucking amazing, such as, you know, Stafford, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, you know, we know who their stars are, both offensively and defensively, and if those guys can stay healthy, they should be just fine, but again, what happens to this defense if Jalen Ramsey goes down? What happens to this defense or this offense if Cooper Cup goes down? What happens to both sides of the ball if one of the two of those things happen? What happens if Aaron Donald gets injured, misses a few games, can't get healthy by playoffs, and then Cooper Cup's out? Something like that. I just... A situation like that seriously concerns me, but again, that's nitpicking because you can't predict that type of shit. You can't jinx anybody or curse anybody, and I hope to God I'm not doing that because I just want to see everyone. In an ideal world, I don't want to see any single NFL player get injured, but I know injuries happen. This is an extremely violent league. This is an extremely physical league, and these dudes are the peak of peak specimens, and they're throwing, <laughs> throwing themselves at other people. So again... It's not out of the picture. You can't take it out of the picture. If you are taking it out of the picture, then you're losing account of a serious factor that does matter every single week. Wow. All right. That was 50 minutes of me blabbering. I haven't done that in a really long time. I'm really surprised I got through that all. I really hope you guys enjoyed this pod. I'm sorry about the length of it. I just had, I had a lot to talk about. I was really juiced up about this week, I guess. Um, honestly, I don't really know why because... 
If you took my spooky bets, you are just wanting to punch me in the nose. If you took my best bets, we're still doing pretty well. Oh, I never checked. How am I doing on the year for those things? Hold the phone. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. I'm not leaving yet. I am not leaving yet. I am 9-5 and five on the season going back to week 4. Bang. 9-5. and five. Take that as you will. Awesome, guys. <laughs> now that I've got that out of the way, hope you guys enjoyed this week's pod once again. Come back and tune in on Thursday for my preview of Week 9's football. Again, share this with your friends. Share this with your family. I appreciate the support so very much. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And peace out. That's going to be here for me.